You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So open our Bibles to our Scripture readings this afternoon. These Scripture readings come in connection with Canons of Dort, chapter 3-4, article 11. The first reading is from John 3, where we'll read verses 1-21. through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We'll also go to the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. He, that's Paul, came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. 
Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let's now read Article 11 from the Canons of Dort, Chapter 3-4. How God Brings About Conversion. God carries out His good pleasure in the elect and works in them true conversion in the following manner. He takes care that the gospel is preached to them and powerfully enlightens their minds by the Holy Spirit so that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God. By the efficacious working of the same regenerating Spirit, He also penetrates into the innermost recesses of man. He opens the closed and softens the hard heart, circumcises that which was uncircumcised, and instills new qualities into the will. He makes the will, which was dead, alive, which was bad, good, which was unwilling, willing, and which was stubborn, obedient. He moves and strengthens it so that, like a good tree, it may be able to produce the fruit of good works. Beloved Congregation of Christ, this past week, if you were paying attention to the news, you may have seen a a news item where a certain woman named Linda Grant turned up alive and well. Linda Grant had been listed as one of the 68 women missing from Vancouver's east side. For all intents and purposes, she was considered dead and gone. 
But now it turns out that she's very much alive and well and living in the United States somewhere. What appeared to be the case wasn't the case at all. And of course, her family is very thankful for that. Now is there a parallel between what happened with this woman, Linda Grant, and the spiritual state of people who are not Christians? Some would say that there is. Some would say that unbelievers simply appear to be spiritually dead. But when you look a little bit closer and you do a little bit of prodding, you discover that there is a little bit of life still hanging on. There's just enough so that the unbeliever can help himself or herself to God's offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. However, we have to say that this does not fit the picture of what the Bible teaches. In the Scriptures, unregenerate people are dead. They just don't appear dead. They are dead. In Ezekiel 11 and 36, God says that they have hearts of stone. Now, hearts of stone simply don't do anything. They don't pump blood, that's for sure. And if you don't have blood flowing, you're dead. But those same chapters, Ezekiel 11 and 36, speak of God giving a heart transplant. Like a surgeon, God reaches into the lives of people and He changes them. He brings what was dead back to life. He works true conversion. This is the truth of what we confess in Article 11 of Chapters 3-4 of the uh, Canons of Door. And so this afternoon I preached to you God's Word with the theme all about true conversion. We'll look at the definition, the need, the manner, and then finally the fruit of conversion. So Article 11, we're talking about what we confess about conversion. It's important that we think about how we define that. What does that word mean? Well, we should first of all be clear that what we're talking about here in this context is something at the beginning of the Christian life. There is another kind of conversion that we find in our confessions especially in the Heidelberg Catechism. And we call that daily conversion. It is related. But here in the canons, we're primarily talking about something that happens as a person changes from being an unbeliever to being a believer. In Acts 3.19, Peter is preaching. And he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Now when it says in the NIV, turn to God, that can also be translated, be converted. Repent then and be converted so that your sins may be wiped out. Turning to God is the essence of what conversion is all about. If you want to put it positively, to be converted is to be turned to God. If you want to put it negatively, which I think we also have to do, to be converted is to be turned away from sin and a sinful life. Conversion involves a being turned away from something or someone being turned to 
someone. And so conversion involves faith and repentance. When a person is converted, they have turned to God by having faith in Jesus Christ. Before conversion, a person runs away from God. An unconverted person has every reason to run away from God because they are living under the wrath of God. They are objects of wrath. But when conversion happens, there is a change in a person's position with respect to God. There is reconciliation. Bringing two parties that were formerly warring with one another, bringing them together. A converted person is brought back to fellowship with God. And this happens through faith in Jesus Christ. So conversion has faith as part of it. It also has repentance. And we use that word quite a bit, but I think it's always important that we understand what we mean when we talk about repentance. Repentance simply means having a change of mind. You change your mind about your sins. Instead of loving your sins, you hate them. You have sorrow over your sins. You change your mind about God and His Word. Instead of hating Him or ignoring Him, which is no better, you love Him. You change your mind about yourself. Instead of seeing yourself as your own person, you see yourself as somebody who lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. Now this faith and repentance happens at the beginning of the Christian life as somebody is turned from an unbeliever into a believer, but it continues through the years. It's there initially as part of that initial change, but it's always there as part of the ongoing process of sanctification. At any rate, to put it simply, conversion is an enormous change in direction in somebody's life. It's the change from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. Now let's move on and consider the necessity of this conversion. Most of the time in the preaching in our churches, the congregation is addressed as the covenantal people of God. I did it this afternoon as well. Beloved congregation of Christ. There's a good reason for this. Because we're simply following the example of the Apostle Paul in his letters to the various congregations that we find in the New Testament. Paul doesn't uh, address them as a mixed bag, so to speak. He addresses the people as the people of God. The Apostle Peter, in his first epistle, even goes so far as to call them the elect of God. So we do the same. But the danger is there that while doing this, we minimize the need for conversion. Because even though we do address God's people as God's people, there can be people in the congregation who are not truly converted to God. Sad fact. And their greatest need is to hear the call of the gospel directly and clearly. 
And if we're going to be following the example of Paul and the other apostles, we should take a page out of Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5.5, Paul writes, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. That same call has to be heard regularly from our pulpits as well. We don't do that to create doubts in sensitive souls, but to lovingly confront those who may still have hearts of stone. Something as important as this, something so basic, we should never take it for granted. So let's not minimize the need for conversion. The the Scriptures speak very plainly about this. In the passage we read from John 3, the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus that no one can see or enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Further on in the passage, we get the very clear message that this is a matter of eternal life and death. Now it's true that the Lord Jesus uses the words born again in this passage. He doesn't say converted, be converted. But it's clear that this is the same thing as what we confess in Article 11. The Lord Jesus teaches that without this conversion or this new birth, this dramatic change in somebody's life, there is no spiritual life or hope. It's important to note that in this passage of John 3, the Lord Jesus uses both the singular and the plural forms of the pronoun you. You could say you, you know, you individually, but you can also say you all. Paul, uh, the Lord Jesus uses both here. In verse 3, he says, I tell you the truth. And then he is speaking directly to Nicodemus. You singular. But in verse 7, he says, you must be born again. And then we could also translate that as you all must be born again. Or you people must be born again. Why is that important? Well, the Lord Jesus was showing the need for conversion not only to Nicodemus, but to all like him. You see, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees believed that they would earn their righteousness before God by their good works. Their place in heaven would be secure by all the good things they did. Their place in heaven would be secure because of their identity as Jews. The Lord Jesus tells him that he's wrong. Brothers and sisters, we're wrong if we think that way too. We're wrong if we think that just being a member of a Canadian Reformed Church is enough to guarantee us a place in the kingdom of heaven or that that in any way contributes to it. We're wrong if we think that anything we do is getting us brownie points with God and is contributing in any way to our salvation. The Lord Jesus says, you need to be converted. You need to be born again. There is only one road that leads to the kingdom of heaven. It is the road of conversion. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and giving us a a new heart, creating faith in Christ, apart from that we are lost in darkness, still objects of God's wrath, 
no matter how many good things we think we're doing. Conversion is necessary. So, how can we be converted? The Lord Jesus says in John 3 that this conversion or new birth is something that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 6 that the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. When a child is born, he or she doesn't have any say in how it happens, when it happens, or or where it happens. Unless the, the woman is induced, baby comes when it's time. It's the same with the new birth. The Holy Spirit is in control. And we can't determine when or where the new birth happens. God is sovereignly in control of conversion. We see that same truth illustrated in Acts 16 with the story of Lydia. Lydia was a cloth merchant from Thyatira. She was worshipping with some Jews in Philippi. What we're told about her, she appears to have been a proselyte, a Gentile who was worshipping with the Jews. Well, when the Gospel came to Philippi, when Paul joined the women on the riverbank, told them the Gospel, we're told in verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. In other words, prior to this, her heart had been closed, had been unable to understand the Gospel. But God grabbed hold of her, opened her heart, And so now she was able to understand and to believe. But this wasn't the first step that God had taken. Prior to this, God had taken care that the Gospel would be preached in Philippi. He arranged all the events leading up to the conversion of Lydia. Opening and closing doors were necessary. We confess in Article 11 that God does exactly that. God's plan is that those who would be converted, God's chosen ones, would hear the Gospel message. Now, of course, many people externally hear the Gospel. But with those who will be converted, God goes much, much further. The Holy Spirit powerfully brings light to their minds and the result is that, like Lydia, they can understand and they can discern spiritual things. Holy Spirit brings about a new birth. He creates a new heart. He penetrates into the deepest parts or recesses of a person and He does some radical surgery. We confess that He takes the closed heart and opens it. The hard heart, well, He softens it. And He circumcises that which was uncircumcised. And all of that is to say that He sovereignly brings about conversion in a person. Changing that person into a son of God. And He not only changes the heart, changing what a person loves and cares about most, He also changes the will. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit changing the will, we mean that He changes what a person wants. The will receives new qualities from the Holy Spirit. We confess that the will is changed from being dead to being alive. 
before conversion. People often want the things associated with sin and death. That's their natural tendency. After conversion, people desire, they want the things associated with God. They want God Himself. Fellowship with Him. Life with Him forever. We confess that the will that was bad becomes good. Before conversion, people typically want things that conflict with God's revealed will. Afterwards, people desire more and more to do what God says in His Word. We confess that the will which was unwilling becomes willing. Before conversion, you can expect people to not have any inclination at all to submit to God or to care what He says. Afterwards, we expect to people to see people who say, if God says it, and I can see it in His Word, I'll do it. And finally, we confess that the will which was stubborn becomes obedient. Before conversion, people are stuck in their ways and they're not going to listen. But after conversion, they're, they're willing to listen and obey. And it's clear from all this that conversion is really a 180 degree turn to God. And so in principle, we can say that it is a matter of black and white. The starkest black you can imagine and the brightest white you can imagine. Of course, because of remaining sin, there are plenty of shades of gray in reality. Because all of us are works in progress. There may be moments or there may be areas in our lives where we stubbornly hold on and, and we refuse to give up. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of grace calls you to submission and surrender more and more. Now that may sound strange. On the one hand, we confess that conversion is the work of the Spirit in us. But on the other hand, there is a call to conversion, both initially and also as part of our sanctification, as, a, as an ongoing thing in our lives. Well, the fact is, the Scriptures teach us both. We're told that the Lord opened Lydia's heart, but we're also told that she responded to the message. And so the same is true for us. We hear the call to conversion and we respond. And as we respond, as we interpret that in the light of God's Word, we know that it is the work of the Spirit of Jesus in us. But that in no way eliminates our responsibility to respond and to keep on responding to the call to daily conversion. And so let me say it again clearly. All of us need to be converted. All of us need to be able to, to take Article 11 and, and read it and say, you know, this is my story. This is what God has done in my life. And having said that and realized that, the Lord leads us onward to produce the fruit of conversion. The last sentence of Article 11 
reads, He moves and strengthens it so that like a good tree, it may be able to produce the fruit of good works. Notice that good works have nothing to do with the root of conversion. Conversion is all about what the Holy Spirit works in us. And good works are also the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But they are the fruit of what He did earlier. They are the fruit of conversion. That's the scriptural way of looking at things too. Take any epistle of Paul and you'll see the same basic pattern. Look in John 3 and there too you'll find that the fruit of conversion is in good works. In verses 20 and 21 we read there about those who who do evil and hate the light. They won't come into the light because they're afraid that their, their evil deeds will be exposed. Those people are compared with those who live by the truth. Those who have been born of the Spirit. They come into the light and their deeds too are exposed. But they have nothing to fear because the fruit they produce is good. It's good because it comes from God. And that brings us to the question of how we can know whether or not we're converted. An important question we need to think about if conversion is really so necessary. Well, the answer is simple. You're converted when you believe the promise of the Gospel. You're converted when you believe that Jesus Christ has turned away God's wrath from you so that you are in fellowship with Him. You are converted when you have the new way of thinking about your sins, about your God, and about yourself. You can know yourself to have been converted when your life is producing good works, the fruit of conversion. Brothers and sisters, following the teaching of Scripture, our confession includes God's gracious work of conversion in our lives. Our confession implies a a call to see God's work of grace in our hearts and praise Him for it. Our confession calls us to be good trees producing abundant fruit so that it may be plainly seen that what has been done has been done through the sovereign God and through Him alone. Through Him alone, we're no longer dead, but alive to Him. And so, praise Him. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.